Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. Caroline, I'm surprised we have not talked about this issue sooner. Yeah. Because you and I are always just weeping in the office. (laughs) Constantly. It's a plague. We've got a box of Kleenexes in the studio. Yeah. I've I've invested heavily in waterproof makeup. Yeah. All of it, not just eye makeup. Because <laughs> my tears, they just it's like sloppy. They get all over my cheeks. Waterproof lipstick. <laughs> it's horrible. No, I'm surprised that we haven't touched on it because when it comes to women, mm-hmm. women in the workplace, mm-hmm. inevitably a conversation about emotions pops up. What? What? Really? Yeah. Huh. Need I call out some books, some helpful books from Amazon to illustrate my point. Okay. Well, you can choose from titles such as Anne Kramer's It's Always Personal, Navigating Emotion in the New Workplace. And this is... Yeah, she's very helpful. She's a good source. Yeah, she is kind of the go-to gal when it comes to waterworks in the workplace. And we're going to cite her a number of times throughout this podcast. Then there's Roxanne Rivera, who outlines her whole stance on crying in the workplace with her title, There's No Crying in Business. How women can succeed in male-dominated industries. I see what she did there with the baseball. Yep. Yep. Also, If You Have to Cry, Go Outside by Kelly Catrone. That's a very straightforward title. (laughs) Yes. She didn't need to write a book. She just needed to make a poster. (laughs) Nevertheless, I'm sure she sold a number of copies. And then there's more touchy-feely stuff like emotions in the workplace, understanding the structure and role of emotions in the work... Wait. (laughs) No, in Organizational Behavior by Robert G. Lord. So there's a lot of stuff looking into emotions in the workplace, especially as in the past 20, 30 years, women have really been making inroads Mm -hmm. and climbing the ranks. And we, you know, it's still this thing of, is it okay if you're a woman to let yourself go? A lot of people say no, adamantly no, do not cry, do not show weakness, it will kill your career, you won't get a promotion, everyone will hate you. But we do have, to kick things off, a couple quotes from some incredibly successful women who offer a little more nuance <laughs> insight on crying <laughs> in the office. First, from Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, which I highly recommend. She says, some people say, never let them see you cry. I say, if you're so mad, you could just cry, then cry. It terrifies everyone. (laughs) So crying is a power play. It is. Yes. Yes. Manipulative. One person who is very open about her crying and not only open about it, but has been quoted about and written about several times because of her crying is Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg who talks about how she doesn't believe that we have a professional self from Mondays through Fridays and a real self for the rest of the time. She says that kind of division probably never worked, but in today's world with a real voice, an authentic voice, it makes even less sense. I've cried at work. I've told people I've cried at work, and it's been reported in the press that Sheryl Sandberg cried on Mark Zuckerberg's shoulder, which is not exactly what happened. So, yeah, she goes on to talk about her emotions, and, yeah, she she tries to be herself. 
Yeah, basically saying you can be honest about your strengths and your weaknesses and understand the fact that it can be challenging to always delineate smoothly between the professional and the personal. Right. Because the fact of the matter is, at some point, whether you are a dude or a lady or whatever else you'd like to identify as, sometimes those things get mixed up. But before we get into more of the etiquette of workplace emotions and the do's and don'ts of crying in the office, let's talk about some science. Because here's the thing about women and crying in the office. We often hear that women are more prone to cry because of socialization, Mm -hmm. which we will touch on. But... From the get-go, we have science against us if the goal is to never, never show tears because our tear ducts are built differently. The hormones that are found in tears are different in men and women. Mm -hmm. And science is still unraveling this mystery of tears. Yeah. Well, it's not only that our tear ducts are shaped differently. I mean, men have larger tear ducts than women do. So when the tears well up, More of them are hanging around in the men's eyeballs than in the women's. They might spill over. It's down to the cells. The cells of female tear glands even look different from the cells in men's tear glands. So, I mean, we're just, we're wired for so many different reasons. And you mentioned hormones. Testosterone helps raise the threshold between emotional stimulus and actually crying. So that feeling of like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm not okay, I'm not really okay, I'm not okay, I'm crying. That's longer for men than it is for women. Right. And another hormone that the scientists have been looking into in terms of its role with crying is something called prolactin, which we have mentioned before on the podcast in reference to breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. because it's something found in breast milk. And neuroscientists and biochemists at Regents Hospital in St. Paul, Minnesota, William H. Fry II, Mm-hmm. Old Fry Jr. has looked into emotional tears. And these are to be distinct from irritant tears, like when we're crying, when we're crying an onion, when we're cutting <laughs> up an onion, if dust gets in our eyes, the stuff that comes out of our eyeballs and that happens. These emotional tears that we cry when we're real sad or just super stressed out mm-hmm. contain proteins, salt, and prolactin. And Fry thinks that because women have 50 to 60 percent more prolactin than men do, that maybe that also has something to do with women being more prone to emotional tears. Yeah, a lot of the research that Fry did was back in the 80s. And this was when, uh, you know, women are fighting against the glass ceiling. You know, don't ever let anybody see you cry. You know, don't be seen as weak in front of all these men that you're working with now. And a lot of the examples that he gave in an article that appeared in Bloomberg Businessweek of women that he had worked with or talked to were women who felt like they started crying suddenly and uncontrollably, like it just came up upon them and they couldn't even stop. And so Fry theorized that a good cry helps us release stress. However, that was back in the 80s. This is still not proven, and it is very hard to study tears because, you know, people feel ashamed of crying. They may not report exactly why they're crying or that they cried at all. And then you've got the whole lab scenario of like, Okay, Kristen, cry. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to just get people who are not trained actors to summon up emotional tears. Right, exactly. We're always trying to fight it off, whereas actors are like, please let me cry. I want to win an Oscar. Um, But yeah, if, if it is true 
that crying does help release stress or those stress-related hormones that build up, then maybe it could actually be healthy at work. I mean, it might not be socially accepted or looked at as something desirable. But hey, if you're going to be all stressed at work, maybe you do need to go sit in your car for a minute and, and have a good cry. Perhaps. But speaking of, though, that socialization factor, uh, we're talking about, you know, fighting mm-hmm. the tears. As we mentioned, uh, you know, men, especially in westernized countries, are more socialized to not cry. That crying is for girls. Crying is for sissies. Uh, this was something that Luann Brizendine, who's a neuropsychiatrist and also author of The Female Brain uh, argues that it's the social conditioning factor that has really primed women's impulse to cry and men's, I guess, uh, fight against tears. And this was interesting. In a Wall Street Journal article, uh, they talked to a, this guy named Tom Lutz, who was a University of California Riverside professor who thinks that Men not crying in the workplace actually traces to the late 19th century when factory workers were discouraged from indulging in emotion so that it wouldn't interfere with productivity. So maybe men not crying at work and now women being told to never cry at work, Mm -hmm. especially, is a product of the Industrial Revolution? That's interesting. I would like to know more about that. Yeah, because there have been global surveys on crying and gender, and it's found that Western women cry much more often than men Whereas the gender gaps aren't as large where the countries aren't as industrialized. Yeah. So there might be a component to that. But the fact of the matter is, whether or not, you know, we think that it's okay or not okay for women to cry at work, ladies, we do it. Yeah, uh, Ann Creamer, who we talked about at the top of the podcast, uh, worked with ad agency J. Walter Thompson to survey 1,200 Americans and found that women under 45 are 10 times as likely to cry at work as men 45 and older. She also found that about 25% of the working population overall is made up of people who respond to extreme stress by crying. Among women, it's 41%. I, I'm a stress crier. I mean, I'm not a big crier Overall in life, I don't cry a whole lot, but when I hit a point where it's just like too much, I, I have been known to shed a tear or two. Yeah, I know things are bad if I'm welling Choking up in my up, cubicle. Yeah. And it's not just at work that this gender gap of tears is happening, even though some researchers think that men underreport the number of times that they cry. But again, going back to Dr. Fry's research, he's found that women cry just in general about four times more often than men, with women on a monthly basis crying 5.3 times per month, which translates to every day of her menstrual cycle. <laughs> just kidding. D- does that apply to you at all? 5.3 times per month? Yeah. If I recently went through a breakup, maybe that does seem like a lot, but I, I don't have the info in front of me on how large this population is Mm -hmm. because I'd be curious to see what the, like the sample ages would be. Yeah. Because that's 5.3 times per month and then men crying 1.4 times per month, Mm. which also seems to me kind of high. But again, maybe you and I just aren't. Maybe we're just robots. Oh, we're robots. Robots. Oh, no. (laughs) Caroline and Kristen Robots. Podcast robots. And then when it comes, though, to work, 
Ann Creamer, in that same survey that you mentioned, Caroline, found that 41% of women had cried at work in the past year, compared to only 9% of men. But what set off women's waterworks differed from what set the dudes off. Women were more addled by the content of a negative message. Mm-hmm. Basically, if someone was like, you are a terrible podcaster, <laughs> and I think that your face is stupid. Oh, we'd be like, what? I'm not, not you, no. <laughs> no, the general you. <laughs> this is fiction. Whereas men would be more upset over the tone and communication style. Yeah. So if they were like, Get me some sandwiches! You know, it wouldn't be... Maybe that would be... They just don't like to be yelled at? Maybe. Or if the... Yeah, if the tone is frustrating or disrespectful or something, maybe. But one really fascinating part of this research that we were doing on women and crying is that, sure, you know, we assume that, you know, you might be putting yourself at risk of diminished credibility in the workplace. If you're caught crying, it might make you look bad. It might even reflect poorly on other women in the office. But the thing is, women might judge other women more harshly for crying. This might not be a thing of male superiors or male coworkers getting all weirded out because women are crying all the time, but more women being upset at other women crying because we have been told to never cry in the office, that it is such a terrible thing. Yeah. Well, that old Ann Creamer, she found that 43% of women she surveyed considered workplace criers unstable which suggests a serious character flaw, as opposed to 47% of men who said criers are merely unprofessional, suggesting a forgivable one-time lapse. So, so yeah, what is it with us being harsher critics? And, and is it just us staring down the barrel of some old stereotypes that we have to battle? I think it is the old stereotypes. I think it's also more of a direct understanding of Maybe the fact that we are still having to elbow our way in. Yeah. In certain ways. Yeah. Creamer says that, uh, the women, she finds that the women who caution against tears the most are largely, quote, older and part of the battle scarred early generations of women who had to emulate the narrow band male emotional spectrum to gain entry to the professional arena. And there were the series of articles on Forbes around spring 2011 written by Jenna Goudreau about crying in the office, about like, who does it? Is it OK? What are the percentages, etc.? And she was writing about it uh, very objectively. But one of her colleagues commented uh, on one of the articles, Susanna Breslin, a fellow Forbes contributor, was not, uh, she didn't mince words, I'll just say that when she commented. Yeah, a lot of times we don't quote comment sections from articles that we're citing in the podcast, but this exchange between Breslin, Goudreau, and there was another contributor, Forbes contributor, Bonnie Marcus, who ended up weighing in as well, uh, that I feel like sums up this mm-hmm. whole women crying in the office issue Pretty well. It covers all sides of it. So Breslin writes, I'm with those people who loathe women crying at work. It looks bad. It makes everyone else feel bad. And it's embarrassing. It makes me feel embarrassed to be a woman. It's not really about crying or about what's going on that prompted the tears. It's about self-control. And that's a chronic problem I see with women in the workplace, a lack of self-discipline. You can cry all you want, but do it in the bathroom. Aww. My eyes almost bugged out of my head when I read that. Breslin is a tough cookie. 
Why you gotta be a hater, Breslin? Jeez. Well, I don't think that Breslin is alone, though. I mean, the very fact that Kramer's survey found that 43% of women consider workplace criers unstable, I think says a lot, and I think that Breslin would probably it obviously be in that group. Mm-hmm. Author Jenna Goudreau responded, that's a pretty hard line. Do you think you don't like seeing women cry because it feels... Uh, Forbes writer Jenna Goudreau then chimed in, that's a pretty hard line. Do you think you don't like seeing women cry because it feeds into old stereotypes about women being too emotional? Do you feel the same way about men who cry? No response from Breslin. I noticed that. And then Bonnie Marcus, another Forbes contributor, says, I think that when women cry at work, it does make their colleagues uncomfortable. People don't know how to react. That being said, I don't think we can make a blanket statement about crying at work. If she cries all the time, it's problematic. Her female colleagues are more likely to call her out and chastise her for her display of emotions, and it interferes with a normal work environment. On the other hand, if a woman cries at a reaction to a particular issue, and it's not usual behavior, it's more likely to be accepted by others. Mm -hmm. And Bonnie Marcus brings up a great point about the frequency of crying, because if it just so happens that you break down every time you get a negative review from a manager, maybe there's a little bit of manipulation going on there. Absolutely. Um, But if it's just, you know, everybody has a bad day or a bad week. Roxanne Rivera doesn't care. (laughs) No, she does not. (laughs) Roxanne Rivera, who wrote, as Kristen said, there's no crying in business. She said crying at the office is the ultimate no-no. Nothing will destroy your credibility faster. Chase, people. But the subtitle of her book, though, was talking about how to succeed in a male-dominated industry. So maybe that's the tack that she's taking. And Roxanne Rivera would probably also be among the group that Ann Kramer talked about who, when she was starting her career in the late 70s, she said that she and all the other career ladies that she knew were explicitly told to never cry in the office. Mm -hmm. But that more modern workplaces and Gen Y, our generation, Caroline, that were changing things, they were becoming more emotionally open in the office. And that it's okay. There was even a Wall Street Journal article published in 2007, I believe, that was talking about how Gen Yers are more likely to demonstrate emotions in the workplace mm-hmm. and that employers just need to understand that that's how we work. Just get with it, old people. Although it also <laughs> it also made Gen Yers seem just like spoiled brats who were like, I don't want to do my report. Yeah, uh, psychology professor and author Gene Twinge said that our generation, Gen Y, was raised with the phrase, express yourself. I'm sure... She wasn't thinking of Madonna, which I immediately thought of. But anyway, this this generation is accustomed to lavish praise from their parents. So maybe when they get a bad review or what would otherwise be construed as constructive criticism, maybe they're just so taken aback. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, I Obviously, you can't make a blanket statement like that. Yeah. Because I'm part of that generation and I seek feedback all the time, but whatever. And if, but whatever. And if Gen Wires do need an exercise and maybe toughening themselves up from the give every kid a trophy kind of uh, uh, yeah. attitudes that some of us were 
raised with, you should start a podcast, <laughs> put it on iTunes, and then read the reviews. Oh, God. Because inevitably, someone's going to call you a man-hating feminazi. Yeah, well, you know, that's how we roll. I, that's actually my vanity plate on my car. It's, it's really long. It's All the vowels are taken out and some numbers are substituted. <laughs> so it makes no sense at all. It's like, <laughs> it's just a series yeah. of Fs and Zs. And there goes Caroline. <laughs> um, I did like, though, I mean, thinking about the the whole thing about emotions at work and whether to cry or, or not to cry, I did like this perspective offered by psychiatrist Judith Orloff. She said, emotional freedom is having a choice of how to respond rather than reacting in the moment without control. Train yourself so you're not taken off guard. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like that's that's some some usable knowledge because, yeah, there are going to be times when you... You can't, once the waterworks start, you can't stop, and women have those tiny tear ducts. And it's just <laughs> those tiny, tiny the, tear ducts. The prolactin. Um, so let's get into some, some more nitty gritty of the, of the how-tos. What, what women advise that you do in the workplace when you confront emotion and what to do if you're crying and how you recover from that. Yeah, definitely give yourself time and distance to collect yourself after the event. Or, you know, whether you're crying or whether it's any outburst, really. So l- let the issue rest and maybe, you know, for smaller issues, just just a lunch hour could work or a bathroom break. But don't let the break be an excuse to dodge the issue. If it was bad enough to make you cry or yell or hit something or someone, then you obviously need to deal with the issue. They also recommend, this I think would be more for an outburst than crying, but still... You want to make amends quickly and decisively. So circle back when you're calm and apologize. This is not the same as apologizing for the reason for the behavior, however. But because we know that crying can freak people out, maybe if you responded in a way that scared your coworkers, maybe circle back and just be like, hey, that was crazy yesterday. Let's talk about it. Yeah, because there is sort of a, a hierarchy of crying in the workplace where at the the very bottom of it, is some sniffles at your desk or in the bathroom right. that no one really notices. And then you get into one-on-one meetings. Mm-hmm. And then you get into public meetings. Yeah. And then you get into public meetings when you have, like, investors on the line or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. when when there's actual, when the tears are more tears of anger followed by outbursts. And that's when you really have to go back and make interpersonal amends. Yeah, and they do talk about uh, repairing those relationships and strengthening relationships with the people who set you off or intimidate you. And this sounds like I thought about it. I, I was reading that, and I stopped, and I thought about the jobs I have had and the people who have upset me and or intimidated me or just made me mad. And I was like, God, I wouldn't want to be closer with those people. But they say that getting to know someone, maybe not like going to drinks with them or anything, but just getting to know someone and understanding their motivations for the way they act or speak could be helpful for you personally. You're not going to change anybody, but maybe if you get a better perspective on why they speak the way they do or act the way they do, maybe you can finally take it less personally. Yeah, and that's a great way to think about managing emotions in the workplace. Uh, some of the advice that we saw on how to stop yourself from crying if you are just kind of prone to crying. I mean, I know, I know some people are just more prone to tears than others. You and I, Caroline, robots. Total robots. <laughs> Total robots. Um, but if you do feel like you have a crying session coming on, 
the first thing that's usually recommended is to get out. Yeah. Just get out of the room. Go to a bathroom. Better yet, get out of the building. Practice routine stress relievers, like <laughs> doing yoga, breathing, taking brisk walks. Boxing, hitting things, kicking things. Knowing your triggers as yeah. well. Kind of under, like what you talked about, Caroline, understand, taking time if you don't get along very well with certain people. Taking a minute instead of just casting all of your angst onto them and saying that they're just terrible people, mm-hmm. taking a minute to understand what it is about their communication style or their management style, right. whatever it might be, that is really pushing your buttons. And then also beware of emotional suppression mm-hmm. and contagions. Basically, like negative emotions spread like viruses throughout the office and can bring you down and make you more susceptible to having an episode yeah, that emotional suppression, this is coming from a Wall Street Journal article in May 2012. They say that it clouds thinking, promotes job unhappiness, and negatively impacts work performance. So, I mean, if you're just walking around angry or sitting around at your desk angry and you never get to the root of it or fix it or talk to anybody about it, you're, you're obviously going to, it's going to color your perception of work. And um, I like what uh, Ann Kramer says about tears once once you've gotten over the emotional suppression and they're flowing and you can't help it, she says that tears are like the check engine light on your dashboard, so it can help you to be more productive. And I had a total check engine light uh, moment when I worked at the newspaper years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to say it was a newspaper. Anyway, I was living in a town, and it wasn't the best I had come to a point where I was like, you know, I really think I should start looking for another job. Like, I'm really not satisfied. You know, things aren't going so well. But I had a weekend to look forward to. I was like, it's okay. I can go and I can have my weekend and I can have my personal time. And then my supervisor called me and she needed me to come in on my weekend and work. No. So I came in. You know, I worked from four to midnight. So I come in at four o'clock and I, I mean, let me repeat, I'm not a crier. You know, like unless something's really awful or really sad or whatever, I'm not much of a crier. I sat at that computer for the first, I think, four hours of work that I was there and just cried. Uh oh. Couldn't stop. Like, (laughs) like that kind of ugly crying. Not only were tears spilling down my face, but I was like making noises. And my supervisor comes over at one point. She's like, put her arm around me. She's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's fine. I don't want to talk about it. That was my check engine light moment. My my engine actually exploded when I ended up having a massive stress migraine that sent me to the hospital emergency room. Uh, that's when I quit. Um, but yeah, it is very important to listen to your body. And if you are crying all the time or crying for any reason, do try to understand what the core issue is. It might not just be that you're, you know, PMSing or you're sad or you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. There might be something deep seated like, uh, like a deep-seated dissatisfaction with your entire life, you know, just for example, uh, that makes you break into tears. Yeah, I think it's it's such a good point of how it's important to pay attention, even if you're not crying, if you are just deeply unsatisfied mm-hmm. and you're always venting at work and there's nothing but negativity. It might sound hokey, but it is true. I've had similar experiences before where you have to stop yourself and say, wait, 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 wait a minute. What is going on? Because you take it into your personal life. Mm-hmm. And that's when what Sheryl Sandberg was talking about in terms of 
delineating between the professional and the personal and how those lives always end up merging. Mm-hmm. It's the same as bringing your personal into the office and taking the office home yeah. with you. Yeah. It can be just as as negative and have equally bad impacts. So, I mean, you might be good at your job or, you know, competent at your job. But if you're crying or you find yourself venting or getting upset all of the time, look at yourself and look at what you're doing for a living. And maybe those two things just don't line up. Maybe you're a very creative person who needs to be, you know, doing something on your own time, on your own schedule. Maybe you are somebody who needs a more regimented data entry type of thing because that's how your brain works. But when those things get out of alignment, then your emotions can tend to swell up when you don't mean them to. Yeah. And it can even be uh, not, you know, and the solution can even be something as simple as just needing more support. Yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to make life altering decisions. It's just like you said, it's a good check engine, you know, take, Ann Kramer. take your metaphorical car mm-hmm. to the psychological mechanics uh-huh. and <laughs> figure out what's wrong with your transmission. Right. <laughs> That means your your brain and your heart and stuff. Car analogy <laughs> over. We should get a car stop post to come <laughs> in and do an episode just in car analogies. So the question in the podcast title, Caroline, is, is it okay to cry in the office? What do you say? I say not because not because you're a woman. And I don't mean you. I mean the general you. It's not that it's not okay to cry in the office because you're a woman. I think whoever you are, whatever your sex, maybe just go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, if it gets to a point, really seriously take the advice of if you feel it boiling over, excuse yourself. Because it. trust me, it freaks people out when you cry. Yeah, I think that it's uh, it's not an issue of if you cry in the office, you are just disappointing every single woman who's ever had a job in her right. life. But the whole thing of if you're crying and it's not because of, you know, all of a sudden someone calls and your grandma died, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of tears. Yeah, cry in the office if, uh, you know, those kinds of personal tragedies occur. But if uh, if you are crying, it's probably a sign that you have not been doing your homework and kind of taking care of things to... To keep yourself emotionally healthy and yeah. hopefully happy. We can't be happy all the time, but you know, yeah. making life manageable. I, I make to-do lists. I got a little, I got a little choked up the other day at work because I found out how much I owe in taxes. Oh, no. Um, and just like it, it, that by itself, probably I could have been like, okay, I have a solution. It's fine, but it, it was a stressful day. Everything was so I was kind of underwater. And that was just one more thing. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't cry, though. Nothing spilled over. I had big tear ducts that day. But what did you do, though? It sounds like you may, you were able to manage it. Well, yeah, because I, I sat in a dark room for like five minutes. There you go. And and just took some deep breaths and went back to my desk. So now you can write a book called, if you have to cry, go in a dark room. Yeah. Done. Find a closet. Find a closet. A trunk, perhaps. And some box wine. <laughs> By yeah. Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. 
Absolutely. <laughs> so I am very much looking forward to hearing people's responses to this, women and men alike. Also, because that, that, speaking of men crying in the office, all of this stuff focuses on women crying in the office. Because men don't cry. 9% of men have cried in the office in the past year, according to that survey. Mm-hmm. So, guys, what what do you do? Is it just a moot point? Is it is it is it a sex difference in managing emotions? Women, do you think it's bad for other women to cry in the office? Any thoughts that you have about tears in the workplace? Let us know your thoughts. Mom stuff at discovery.com is where you can send your email. Now for a couple of letters. Now, Caroline, to kick things off, I've got an email here from Lindsay, and she's asking for some advice about love. And so I thought that it would be great to, to maybe answer her question on the podcast. She writes, how do people know if they are really in love and meant to be with another person or if it's just the endorphins making them feel addicted and comfortable and safe? To give you a little background on myself, I've been dating a guy for a year now and I've definitely started noticing his flaws, but in my opinion, they still don't outweigh the positives. How do you know when you're in love? I responded to Lindsay mm-hmm. that, uh, to me, because I've thought about this whole endorphin thing too. Sure. It can, if you learn enough about like the neurochemistry of attraction, it can make you a love skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> it might have put a damper on my dating life from time to time. But, uh, I told her that you really find out when you're in love with someone when those initial endorphins do wear off in more of the quieter, Moments after you're not necessarily in the quote unquote honeymoon phase, but what happens when it's not amazing? Yeah. If that makes sense. Not to say that you need tragedy or something horrible to happen to test your love, but I'm just saying if, uh, when you're not on that little pink cloud anymore. Right. When things have come down to earth a little and you guys feel like you're actual partners, like you're taking care of each other, mm-hmm. like you, value each other enough that you're not just going to be like, oh, well, I'm not feeling butterflies anymore. I'm I'm out of here. Exactly. Not needing to float on that pink little cloud to feel comfortable and right. safe. I mean, sure, you could go into the argument for days about the chemicals and how they make you feel and why they make you feel that way. Like, let's keep procreating and keep this whole human race deal going. Yeah. Oh, God. But let that be your person. If, if those are the chemicals, you know, if you guys had chemicals and then now maybe you have fewer chemicals, you just have different chemicals. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. However, partnership. Is that enough words that I just said? No, I think that makes sense. I think I, I told her that, uh, you know, it seems like things are going well if she's seen the, the flaws, as she says, mm-hmm. in her boyfriend of a year, but she, it doesn't matter all that much. Now, if those flaws are him being a crappy boyfriend, then that should matter. But right. in terms of, you know, I think that's also a good thing that, you know, if you always keep someone up on some crazy pedestal, then... Mm. You're both going to end up pretty disappointed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you know if you're in love? There are many different answers yeah. <laughs> to that. Love is not a Disney movie. No. I'll say that much. Okay, well, I have a letter here from a listener who would like to remain anonymous, Kristen. Uh, she's writing in response to our Designer Vagina podcast and says, I'm 22 years old and had a pubic lift done when I was 18. 
not a procedure I heard you mention on the podcast. It's basically the removal of fat from in front of the pubic bone to make the vulva flatter. It cost me around 5000 Canadian dollars, which my parents lent to me. It was an outpatient surgery carried out at a private clinic by a cosmetic surgeon and only took a few hours. You are right on the money when you say it's self-confidence issues that prompt women to pursue general genital surgery, but I don't regret it at all. I am happy with my lady parts now. Everything healed well, and the surgeon and nurse made sure I was well informed of the risks beforehand. I don't miss having a vulva that would show through clothing or cause anxiety with men. I'm sexually active now and have never had any comments on my vulva other than to tell me that it's beautiful. Though the procedure itself was scary to think about, it's done nothing but good for my self-confidence and self-acceptance. Although surgeries of this nature may be a symptom of society's views on women, I don't think that women should be criticized for wanting them. Addressing deeper psychological issues is perhaps important, but society needs to change before the demand for designer vaginas will go away. I would identify as a feminist and recognize that my desire for a smaller vulva comes from my role in a patriarchal culture, but it's not easy to step outside of that and accept yourself. So thank you very much, dear listener. We appreciate your story. And we appreciate all the stories that you all send into us. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also find us on Facebook, which if you have not been to it, I highly encourage you to go on there so that you can check out our weekly photos that we are posting, Caroline and I, of Caroline and myself. Oh, us. In celebration of Women's History Month. That's all I'll say. Yeah. There are costumes involved. We got a kick out of it. We hope you will, too. And you can tell us how much you liked it by tweeting us at MomStuffPodcast. And if you would like to follow us on Tumblr as well, you can find us there at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And as always, if you would like to learn more stuff this week, head over to our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by jackthreads.com.